electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. I'd be with my friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach, put in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CNBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. New narratives! Get your new narratives here. Help yourself to some delicious new narratives. I used to hawk ice cream at the old veteran stadium in Philly years ago. And when I did, I always tried to come up with a little twist, make things a little bit different instead of just, hey, ice cream, vanilla, and chocolate. But I heard so many new narratives today that I have to share them because they're all kind of like cute little vignettes that can get people excited about a market that perhaps they really shouldn't be so sanguine about. The new narratives are how we ended up with the Dow gaining 431 points as it be jumping to 2.02% and the Nasdaq surging 2.76%. Quite a change from last week, don't you think? It all starts with the overnights, as usual. I have to hand it to the Chinese Communist Party. When they said that there's too much bad data, they flood the system with liquidity, put out some good numbers that they gin up, and start making encouraging noises about capitalism. They also leak out that there's some shift, uh, you know, something going on, draconian lockdowns, maybe less draconian, where some workers will be able to get out, make something, anything, which is good because nothing else is happening. In our country, these fenced-in apartments, we would call them prisons. In China, they're sources of pent-up demand. When you get positive out of China, no matter how bogus, you get a run in many stocks that we've had way, way too much fear for. Tesla, Nike, Apple. Did they really deserve to rally in what could be fabricated news? You have to ask the buyers. Next, we find out the United Airlines is having a better-than-expected quarter with a large guide-up. Since we debate the strength of consumer every single day around here, there's nothing more reassuring than having a major airline tell us things are unexpectedly strong. So that's the second new narrative. Forget about the consumer being back home. She's traveling. Of course, on credit. That moves up American Southwest, Delta, holy cow, even Boeing went up on this one. Then there's the news out of Home Depot, where rather than trade down, consumers actually traded up. So the numbers were spectacular versus the horrendous results from Walmart. Hey, you know what? I might have a little, if you stick around, I might have a little say about Walmart later. (laughs) 
Home building may be cooling off, but not at Home Depot, where people appear drawn to anything that's rising in price. Every aisle seems to have something great to offer. I'll go there on Saturday. Just go nuts. Chief, maybe Chief Financial Officer Richard McPhail would like to go with me. Uh, he argued vociferously that the company has little cor- uh, relation to rising mortgage rates. Correlation zero. Shocking, but hey, come on. He's got better data than we do. Away from the pathetic, deranged Walmart. Okay, just pathetic. All retailers marched higher, including the ones that report tomorrow, with even the convoluted Amazon getting out of its own way for once. Can you imagine? And Amazon's return to the land of the living matters to the rest of the market because a lot of people have pretty much given up on Amazon. Now, as we get to the end of the month, it wouldn't surprise me if some of the semiconductor companies may have to own up to how badly they're doing. Because, remember, we thought that China's got 55 million people who can't upgrade. But uh, today, one of the most beaten-up semis blossomed. AMD. And because AMD is in high-performance computing, as well as aerospace, autos, and telco, courtesy of its acquisition of Xilinx, that allowed the other semiconductor stocks, including Micron, in these spaces to take off. It was an amazing run for the group. Everybody, from Broadcom to the now lowly NVIDIA, managed to roar. Next new narrative. Sometimes, unlike the Tina Turner song, we do need another hero. And this time it was Warren Buffett riding to the rescue with a $2.9 billion investment in Citigroup. I mean, that's huge. First, it's unlikely to be his last buy. Buffett's own mind metal stakes in former darlings, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America. In fact, he's still got one by Bank of America. He had a gigantic slug of Wells Fargo, almost 10%. Perhaps he plans to do the same thing with Citigroup. If Berkshire Hathaway buys 10% of Citi, this would become the greatest bank stock on earth. Why not? Stock trades below its tangible book value, what they'd make if you liquidate the whole business tomorrow and return the money to the shareholders. If Buffett keeps buying, eventually Citi will be able to catch up to its book value, making it an amazing performer. Watch out. Citi is now going to be the one that people want. Because all banks are part of ETFs, they trade together. So good news for Citi ignited a rally in the rest of the group. That makes sense, given the fact that the banks become more profitable every time the Fed tightens. But nobody had enough bravery to buy until Buffett stepped forward today. And I've noted this pattern over and over again. People say, oh, we have bad capitulation, we have capitulation. You know what capitulation is? It's when Buffett comes out and starts buying things. That's what we're renaming capitulation. I don't participate in the mad dash to find out what managers might have bought. You know, we have those things that come out, the 13Fs. I don't do it uh, because you usually get the information too late for it to make a difference. Sometimes by the time you know, they've already cut and run. But one money manager's departure seemed to be viewed as a positive. I'm talking about Dan Loeb's third point selling their stake in Disney. Didn't take long for that stock to rally. I have to believe that it's got more room to run, given that the stock's down a quick 50 bucks from its January highs. I bet it could rebound just as fast. To me, this is a classic no bad news rally. It also shows that when you're up 500 Dow points at the beginning of the day. It really is all China that's calling the tune, right? At 4 a.m., it was China, not the U.S., not the Fed, not Ukraine, not Queen Elizabeth. China has a tremendous hold on our market. When they're allowed to invest in Nike, Starbucks, Apple, believe me, they do. Those are the three golden calves of China's major league lockdown situation. The big quandary today is the run in the large industrials. Quizzical. Nobody can really figure that one out, as these stocks have been pancaked by every country's tax regime, plus a lack of aerospace defense business. But we're already hearing about a Marshall plan to rebuild Ukraine. That would be a total home run for the defense contractors, a rare group of American companies that still actually make things. And by the way, oh yeah, you need a lot of cranes and stuff. If you're going to do a rebuild, like you got to have cranes. Now, there were a lot of just run-of-the-mill winners, too. 
like the Nasdaq names that were under so much pressure yesterday. I felt that on Friday and yesterday, nearly all of the new IPOs just got slaughtered. The close was simply horrible yesterday. I couldn't believe the amount of carnage that was visited upon any new companies, even as we haven't seen many more of them be minted because the IPO market's basically shut. Now they're bouncing. What's happening here? I think there's a bifurcation, subtle one, that's happening right now. The halves, and the halves are Airbnb, DoorDash, and Block, formerly Square. And then there's everybody else. Here's the bottom line. If we get more Chinese good news tonight, along with fine quarters from Target and Lowe's that look like nothing having to do with Walmart, we're going to have another one of these great days tomorrow. But if we don't get that good news, we're going to end up with a miserable, horrible Walmart-style view of the world. Their sporting goods aisle is awful. They're, I'm telling you, the fishing rods are just miserable. you got to go to Cabela's, and all bets are off. Carol in Texas, Carol. Hey, Jim, I've been wanting to tell you this for a month. When your two morning sidekicks made fun of your jacket, saying it was like something out of Guys and Dolls, don't they realize that they were comparing you to Marlon Brando, the ultimate man's man? Next time you put that jacket on, my friend, you put it on with some swagger. I thought I was more Nathan Detroit, but I understand that Marlon Brando, and I accept (laughs) that. I told them, you know what I told them off camera? I said, take back that mink. <laughs> All right, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. With their, along with their post-nasal drip, huh? Yeah, um, I like that. Hey, um, Gotta lose a few. Um, what? I'm sorry. Speaking of icons, um, your poster child for this environment has been Procter & Gamble. And yet, when I look at Procter & Gamble since November, they're basically moving sideways. There's two things that I that come to mind. Number one is that that's all the best I can hope for in this market environment. But two, having heard Walmart this morning, um, is there something under the surface that we all need to wait with bated breath while you dig it out and reveal no, it to us? No, Procter's just one of those stocks. It doesn't go up on a big day. Like You keep Procter in the Chapel Trust because when everything goes wrong, Procter still does well. Um, I don't like to use Procter & Gamble in the same sentence at Walmart other than the fact that I have bought things from Procter at Walmart. And I think we should leave it at that. And hopefully never the twain shall meet beyond what you and I just said. Um, you know what? I did play. Uh, they, I got cut. I went out for Nathan Detroit and I ended up playing Harry the Horse. That was Mrs. Dusen, Mrs. Dusenberry, and I never forgave her. Still to this day. How about Alan in North Carolina, please, Alan? Hey, Jim. How you doing? Having a super day. How about you? Me too. All right. I need some guidance. You I am came to the right place. Two... What? You came to the right place. Well, you can edge I hope you can educate me. All right. I'm looking at two credit card plays, Visa and Capital One. Visa has an EPS of just over $6 a share and is selling at a stock price of just over 200 whereas Capital One has an EPS north of $25 a share, but their stock price is only 120 I think they're both great marketing companies, but I'm trying to determine why such a big difference in price earnings ratio. Because in a, in a recession, you're going to have people default on their credit cards, and that's going to be very bad for Capital One, whereas Visa has no credit risk, which is why it's one of the greatest companies on earth. So I still prefer Visa. Uh, tonight, Goldman Sachs upgraded uh, MasterCard. Mike back, very good, too. So I say Walmart. 
Uh, I, I, Walmart. Oh, my God. Stop it. I say I like Visa. I like MasterCard. And then I like Capital One. All right now, if we get more good news out of China, along with good quarters from Target and Lowe's, we're going to have another one of these great, hey, I got vignettes for you days on Mad Money Tonight. Take Two Interactive jump today after earnings. Time maybe to look at the thing. Like it's only 12 points. I think it's got a lot more room to run. Then I'm talking to the company CEO. Then a major chain of stores that I don't want to mention because I'm too, too steamed delivered a miserable first quarter. And I'm going to break down exactly what went wrong. And if you want to understand this market, then watch oil. I'm going off the charts on the hot commodity to make sense of the action. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, look at this take two interactive stock run. Today we got a great reminder of what happens when Wall Street gets just way too negative about a well-run company. Going to the quarter last night, this video game stock had plunged from $195 last November to $110. Then they turned in a seemingly mixed quarter, and the stock actually went down initially, idiots, with lower than expected sales but higher than expected earnings. And, yeah, I thought, well, boy, people want to take it lower. Take those guidance was quite, was, let's call it mixed, including a much lower than expected full-year earnings forecast. But forget about that. The stock started bouncing like crazy, ultimately finishing the day up nearly 12%. Why? Because the results were much better. 
Even that, did not, even that not so odd guidance didn't bother people. Because Take Two is notoriously conservative with its forecast. Did people not? Did people just forget that? So could this be the beginning of a longer-term rebound for the stock? Like I think it is. Let's take a close look with Strauss Zeldin. He's the chairman and CEO of Take Two Interactive. To learn more about the quarter and where his company's headed, Mr. Zeldin, welcome back to Man Money. Thanks. Nice to be here. Good right, to see Strauss, you, sir. I got a thesis, Strauss. People made this ridiculous binary issue. Uh, it's a pandemic or post-pandemic play. And then there were companies where it was a talent and creative versus not this quarter talent creative play. And what happens is as we get away from the pandemic, we are focusing on companies that have great talent, regardless of whether people were inside or out. That's how I looked at this quarter. Yeah, right. I mean, we had said all along that we expected demand after the pandemic to be higher than pre-pandemic and somewhat lower than during the pandemic. It seems that that's exactly what happened. And we're now in the new normal. And now we just have to put out great titles. And if we do, people show up. And in this past quarter, we did. We had great launches and, and great results. Um, to me, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I usually don't start with the NBA 2K, but obviously NBA is more popular than ever. And NBA 2K, uh, people were telling me, oh, they're going to boycott it in China. Why do people just make up lies? First of all, that's just an existential question. <laughs> and you know, that's a rhetorical thing. But I'm NBA, not gonna <laughs> but NBA However, 2K, NBA 2K China, it remains the number one PC sports title in China, has over 50 million registered users. It's a very successful title. And NBA 2K22 is sold in over 10 million units. We've had terrific ratings, great feedback from our consumers, and superb engagement. It's it's a wonderful franchise. We have a great partner in the NBA League and the NBA Players Association. So we, we just couldn't be more thrilled with our basketball title and that, that whole franchise. All right. How about this uh, partnership with Gearbox in Tiny Tina's Wonderlands? A, a new one for me. I guess, am I supposed to I should play it tonight with, with Lisa? You, you definitely should play it. It's a great, great game, and it's an all-new franchise. It lives within the Borderlands universe. Oh, okay. It's based on the Tiny Tina character who, who's beloved coming from Borderlands, and we, we just couldn't be more excited. It, yeah. It's a great new franchise. I know that it's difficult to talk about Zynga, but what I like about Zynga is I think once the deal closes, you own it all. It's not like there's a no. I remember when I first talked to you and you said, listen, Jim, I actually don't own all of Grand Theft Auto. That's our that is our our product, but it's not our product in the way that you think. It looks like when you get all these mobile games, they are yours to do what you want with. Well, actually, Grand Theft Auto's intellectual property is owned by Take-Two, of course, along with all of our other big games and big titles. And we have the best collection of owned intellectual property in the console and PC business. And we believe that with the combination with Zynga, we'll have the best collection of owned intellectual property in the mobile business as well. It's our strategy to own and control all of our intellectual property to the extent we can. And when we have licensed properties, for example, like NBA and WWE, we have long-term trusted relationships with our partners that benefit both us and our partners. And that's why they last a long time. And that's why they're durable. Uh, and that's why they're mutually beneficial. But if someone from Grand Theft Auto is not happy with it, something, and you want them to be, you're happy with it, you've always favored the creators, right? I mean, you'll never go against a creator who says their game's not ready. That's exactly right. Uh, Rockstar Games creates Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption and many other terrific titles. That team is superb and expert, and we rely on them to make the creative decisions and for them to pursue their passions 
And that's worked out for us over and over again. That's true also at our 2K label. It's true at private division, and it will be true at our Zynga label when that deal closes next week. Right. Uh, you know, I'm trying to do a little bit more ESG. I don't want to make it sound simplistic and like, wow, okay, Jim's like gotten a heart or something. But I used to do a lot of work with Larry Cudlow at Covenant House. And I was very glad to see that on Monday, you're involved with a group of people, including one of my favorites, Adam Silver's like the smartest guy on earth. Uh, and yep. uh, so tell me a little bit what he is. He's ridiculously smart. So tell me what you're up to there, because I think it's important. Well, our team at Take Two Interactive has fallen in with the, the youth that Covenant House serves. Covenant House serves more than 70,000 homeless and trafficked youth every year. It's a go-to safe place for those uh, kids who have nowhere else to turn to find better lives. And we've, we've all just been touched in our hearts, and we've been giving time, and uh, we've been giving money as well to Covenant House. I've been involved with Covenant House for the better part of 30 years. Um, we're celebrating the the ribbon cutting on a new international headquarters that houses hundreds of kids and staff as well to take care of those kids. So that's all on Monday. It's the 50th anniversary celebration. And if you're if your viewers want to support Covenant House, I can't think of a better way to give back. Well, look, I couldn't agree more. When I got involved, I said, geez, how did I not know about this? How? But you know what? Life life confounds us. There are people doing great things all the time. And we just have to point it out periodically so other people do great things. I want to thank Strauss Zelnick, the chairman and CEO of Take-Two Interactive. Fantastic quarter. Doing a lot of great things. Man, money's back after the break. Thank you, Strauss. Thank you, Jim. All right. See you, see you in a moment. Coming up, is inflation getting in the way of everyday low prices? Kramer checks in on Walmart. Next. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When you make $25 million a year, better get it right. And Walmart CEO Doug McMillan most definitely did not get it right this quarter. In fact, this morning, he really blew it. Sure, he got the top line right, something they repeated multiple times. But they missed the bottom line in a truly horrendous way. How bad? Just back in February, which I looked in the calendar, turned out to be not that long ago, Walmart forecasted that it would have mid-single-digit earnings growth. Pretty spectacular. Now it's May. A few months later, Walmart said the earnings would be down 1%. That's not just disgraceful forecasting. It's embarrassing execution. Sadly, we own Walmart for the Travel Trust. So now we're lamenting today's nearly 17 points of pain, all caused by a belief that Doug McMillan could deliver something better than a typical mom-and-pop retailer that's being laid to waste by supply chain problems and higher labor costs. But he couldn't. 
In fact, the quarter overwhelmed Walmart as if someone somehow they thought this was a normal time. Listen to McMillan's mistakes. Too much staffing because so many people came back to work early after Omicron. Too much inflation and food prices that were budgeted right. You know what? This is Bush League stuff. You and I both know this. He predicted none of it. I've been thinking maybe he needs to get out of Bentonville, Arkansas, see what's going on in the rest of the country. Oh, I'm sure he'll talk about how he's been traveling. He knows this and that. If he doesn't know what I mean, well, let me just say Bentonville's become a tired mindset. It's time to accept that. I I want you to listen to one of the biggest embarrassments on the conference call. It was a really great quote. McMillan says, while we experienced high levels of inflation in our international markets over the years, U.S. inflation being this high and moving so quickly, both in food and general merchandise, is unusual, end quote. Whoa. To which I say, sure, it's unusual for all of us, but it's not unusual for you. You just told us it isn't. You've had it overseas, and it's not unexpected. You would have thought Walmart would have had the best handle on domestic inflation, given that they dealt with it overseas, but apparently not. It eluded their ken. While the stock's decline today was shocking, and I'm talking about shocking, it was also deserved. There was so much that went wrong this quarter, you would have thought you were dealing with an amateur hour dollar store, not the most sophisticated retailer on earth. Now, I know that Amazon's also had an overstaffing problem. They hired too many people and are struggling to figure out what to do with them. I've criticized CEO Andrew Jassy. I think he's got some catching up to do. But Walmart gave us the benchmark of bad, and it's probably not over. The company has way too much inventory, so it will bleed into the next quarter, if not the next quarter after that. When we needed lots of pandemic outdoor gear, many of their stores had little of it. Now they seem to have too much of everything. Worse, they're in denial. To the extent that it's revolting, listen to this line. We're making progress executing our strategy. The flywheel. The fly. The flywheel we are building is better for customers and members and more diversified approach to profitability is making the company stronger, end quote. To me, Walmart's, that's it. I mean, I'm done with the word. Nobody uses that word flywheel after this. They're making a mockery of the word flywheel. They ain't got no flywheel. It's a store. You pick stuff up if you have to. They'll send you things. So what? Walmart will always be a store that sells a ton of merchandise. But we've now seen that when the going gets tough, they are nowhere to be found. These guys are shook to their core by everything that happened last quarter. Of course, we need to distinguish between the fine people who actually work at Walmart and their inadequate management. The employees didn't do anything wrong. But management, they they need to take some of their international people who've actually seen what inflation looks like and bring them to Bentonville by way of Seattle, perhaps, because the current leadership hasn't a clue. See, that way maybe they could spy on a better-run chain called Costco, which is in Seattle, which would never, ever accept this kind of embarrassing results. We sold some Walmart much higher for my travel trust, but not enough. You know what? I was like the old days today. You know what I did? I punched the damn screen when I saw these awful numbers. Almost broke my hand. Should have that I had any shares left of this beaten down business was wrong because one share of this uninvestable stock is one share too many. Ben in Georgia. Ben. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Hope you're doing well. I've been better. What's up? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I've, I feel like we all have. 
Anyways, uh, we all know this environment has been pretty bad for a lot of stocks, the majority yeah. of them. In particular, you know, companies that aren't making a profit, like you always say. There are some, though, that are getting thrown out with the bathwater who are profitable, and I want to see if you agree that Costco might be one of them. No, going see, I'm not going to say that. You know why? Because Costco is the best retailer in the world. They're not one of them. They're the only one. And they got this guy. They got some um, gel and it's great. They got this guy, Rich Glanty. He's a CFO, okay? He and Christine McCarthy, CFO over Disney, they are so much smarter than me that when I go home after talking to them, I always say to my wife, I thought I was smart. I always need my mom. My mom to say, no, don't, Jimmy, you're just as smart as Rich Galanti. Don't worry. Costco's money in the bank. Gary in Alabama. Gary. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. You know, I have been following you for over 20 years, back before the Cutlow days. Always enjoyed that show as well. And I have made thousands of dollars on your advice. And I hey, can't thank, thank you, you for that. Thank you. But, That's fabulous. But back in November, you and I both jumped into PayPal. And I want to know what to do with that because I am sucking wind just like you are. Well, you, you uh, know, it's a good question. PayPal? See, guy comes on your show, stocks at 180, tells you everything's fine, things are looking good, you're going to do fine, line the sand, and then you lose 100 points. So the answer is I don't know what to say about PayPal other than the fact that it stinks. Back with Kramer. I got a real controversial one. I'm not sure I agree with it entirely, but let's just walk through it. If you want to understand this market, you got to watch oil, right? That's what we look at every morning. But right now, we've got two major wars going on worldwide, the Russia-Ukraine and then central banks versus inflation. Thanks in part to sanctions against Russia, which economically speaking is basically a gas station with an army, the price of crude has skyrocketed to $112 a barrel. The oil stocks have been just unbelievable areas of outperformance. They're the favorite section I have for my travel trust. They're up to 10% of the trust. But where's oil headed next? Tonight, we want to answer that question with the help of Carly Garner, who told us where natural gas was going to top out. Now we're going for oil. She's the brilliant technician who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading and the author of High Probability Commodity Trading, as well as being our resident commodities expert, who's been very red on a lot of these different things involving the petrol complex. Before we get going, Garner points out that it's hard to predict oil prices in a wartime situation. Of course, we've got lots of political and economic turmoil, with the end result being tremendous volatility in the energy markets, coupled with shocking moments of illiquidity. That's the key word. As traders react to tight oil and gas supplies while they attempt to hedge against inflation. So with that in mind, got a couple of fancy charts here. We're going to start with West Texas Intermediate. This is the West Texas Intermediate light, sweet crude oil futures contract. It's traded on the New York Mercantile Exchange. It's one of the major benchmarks for the overall price of oil. More importantly, West Texas Intermediate tends to be among the healthiest, least volatile energy futures in the world. That's because it's thick, okay? A lot, of, a lot of activity. This is American oil, so it's insulated from all sorts of geopolitical risks. Nobody's going to invade Texas that I know of. However, in recent months, Garner feels like this market has just outright broken. Why? Well, when markets are functioning normally, the spread between the bid price and the ask price is a penny or two at most. But lately, there have been times during the overnight sessions where this spread came close to a dollar for West Texas Intermediate, which is really crazy. 
Even during the day when things are more liquid, we're seeing spreads of a dime or more between the buyers, uh, what the buyers are willing to pay and the sellers are willing to accept. Again, highly unusual. To garner, this is a sign of dysfunction. And it doesn't help that we're also seeing lots of erratic price swings. So let's go to those. Look at the we- weekly chart of West Texas Intermediate Crude. Garner points out that if you measure bull and bear markets uh, by 20% swings, we've already had a year's worth of price movement here. In early March, we were seeing 20% swings practically every day. Every day. Since then, the volatility has gotten less insane, but it's still pretty extreme by historical standards. Just look at what's happened here. When Russia invaded Ukraine, okay, see this going into the war premium, the price of West Texas crude broke out above its trend line. Uh, this, this was the ceiling resistance that held for a long time because it threw the entire global oil market into chaos. Before the war, Garner notes that oil had a pretty well-defined trading range, and you can see that. Expanding wedge pattern. If West Texas crude breaks down below 102, down about 10 bucks from where it's currently trading, then we could potentially go back. I mean, go back to the wedge if that happens. Garner thinks it could potentially lead to mass liquidation that takes oil back to the 70s. That's what I'm afraid about with my stocks. Okay, that's the only thing that I really fear. Remember, the war situation in Ukraine is uncertain, but on the inflation front, central bankers around the world are doing their best to slow down their economies. Eventually, that results in less demand for oil. I think it could be a while, though, before demand destruction becomes a real problem. And the risk is there, uh, but I've got it kind of in the back of my mind. Of course, high prices eventually destroy demand, too. Meanwhile, look at the relative strength index. That's down here, the RSI. Okay, This is an important momentum indicator. And while it's currently pointing higher, it's also nearing overbought levels. In the short term, Garner thinks crude could have more upside, but eventually she sees prices coming back down to levels we wouldn't have seen, we would have seen before Russia invaded Ukraine. We just don't know how long it will take. So in other words, take this off the table and go back to the trading range, which we might hear see this if we go back. Okay, that's what she's saying is your downside. Of course, there's another reason the price of oil has been able to soar. The big oil producers have been very disciplined. As you know, we have them all on the show, but not spending too much money on new production. They know it's better for them to leave the oil in the ground, keep prices high, return capital to you, the shareholders. So take a look at this chart. It's pretty, pretty blatant. This is a chart of the Baker Hughes recount. comes out once a week. Garner points out that fracking permanently changed the face of the oil market. Once U.S. shale production really exploded, the price of crude collapsed, and it stayed under pressure for years until very recently. Eventually, the pandemic hit. The producers learned how to be disciplined, and the price of crude soared. Okay? So, as you can see, the rig count has steadily been recovering. There's only so much discipline the oil industry can show when the price of crude is over 100 bucks a barrel. And a lot of these are private equity firms. We can't even see their stuff. We don't know their numbers, but they bought a lot of oil down there. The U.S. rig count is already approaching a two-year high. No, who's talking about that? Anybody? While it's still low by historical standards, we've got more production coming online. It's creeping online. It will keep creeping higher, and eventually that's going to make a big difference. Although, again, we don't know how long it will take. But if you saw this jump to here, let me tell you something. Oil's going to 70. Okay, so keep an eye on that. Now, let's zoom out to the monthly chart of West Texas Intermediate Group. Here you can see that the pre-fracking oil market looks very different from the post-fracking oil market. Since the widespread adoption of fracking, oil's had an upward slanted ceiling that currently stands at $120 a barrel. 
We briefly breached it earlier this year, right after the Russian invasion got started, but it failed to close above that level on a monthly basis. Garner suspects a second attempt to breach the 120 ceiling will also fail. Plus, there's a second ceiling at 115, which is where oil peaked into 11. So she's again saying we're going to be stuck here. Now, when you look at the relative strength index down here, it's already in overbought territory. That tells Garner oil prices are already extended and vulnerable to a swift decline if traders are ever given a reason to change course. All right. Now, how about when we zoom into the daily chart? Lately, you can see that oil prices have broken out of a fairly drawn out triangle pattern. That's catapulted crude higher. And while Garner could see a bit more upside in the future, there's also two ceilings of resistance, one at 115 and one at 120. Plus, as time goes on, she expects Wall Street's focus to shift from supply constraints to the demand side of the equation, which we're not really focused on at all right now. That should only get more negative as the Fed keeps tightening. I disagree because I think that what's going to happen is that China's going to come back online. But at the moment, I think oil still looks good. I think the situation in Ukraine can stay crazy for a lot longer than you might expect because the whole war was insane to begin with. As long as Russia's a pariah state, oil's got a strong floor underneath. That's my opinion. But the bottom line, the charts is driven by Carly Garner. So this is the good news for oil might be mostly baked in, meaning the upside is limited. And I won't make money from my travel trust with oil stocks. Just keep in mind that while oil rallies, uh, they tend to happen in the blink of an eye. Oil sell-offs are just as quick. I'm sticking by my oils. We bought some more last week after we spoke to some CEOs. These charts tell me I'm going to probably be wrong. I'm willing to bet the other way. Billy in Indiana. Billy. Yes, big booyah from Indianapolis Motor Speedway here. Oh, man. Safe. Tell Frank Reich I said hi. I know he's a devoted watcher. What's going on? Well, uh, you got me on Chevron back around 90. and I've Chevron. I enjoyed it. And uh, I'm just wondering, should I take a little profit off the table or hang in there? You're going to hang in there. I'll tell you why. Because Mike Worth could buy up to a quarter of the company. He is the most forward-thinking of the major. Wow, what a stock of the major uh, CEOs, and I'm a banker with Mike Worth. Now, understand again, the chart suggests we're getting a little long in the tooth with this rally. Oil sales can be just as swift and stunning as oil rallies. I, on the other hand, think that the war is going to go on longer, and we're going to make even more money with the oils. It's a real battleground, people. Stay with Kramer. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time to the lightning And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Start with Kevin in Florida. Kevin. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Yo, man, My what's shaking? is, Fisker, do they have what it takes to make inroads in the U.S.? I like Henrik Fisher. He's a terrific guy, but I'm not going to recommend a st- I will not recommend a stock that is going to lose money hand over fist on mad money. Let's go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Jim, I got a company for you that's in the process of finalizing an all-cash uh, $11 billion bid for a company by the name of Switch. With that in mind, uh, what's your opinion? Buy, sell, or hold on Digital Bridge Group, DBRG? 
Okay, uh, Ben Stoddard and I talked about this this very morning, trying to figure out what we should say about this. So we have to do more work. That's all I can tell you, we gotta do more work. How about we go to Carlos in Florida? Carlos. Kramer. Yeah. All right, so gambling stocks have been getting hit hard for the last year, and I wanted to get your opinion on Penn National. I like DraftKings more. I think DraftKings is trying to put in a real bottom. Let's go to Joe in New York. Joe. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a longtime viewer, second-time caller. Okay. Thanks Thanks for your market wisdom. I'm calling on Grow Generation. I'm underwater big time. Okay, what Grow Generation do? had the single worst uh, same-store sales projections I've seen in, uh, in ages. Down 50%. I, it can't be touched. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. On a deliciously more positive day for the market, I want to circle back to a Dow component. It's done all right this year. It still feels, I think, a little underappreciated. I'm talking about Caterpillar, the heavy machinery kingpin that I like so much. The last time I heard from Caterpillar was late April. The company delivered a magnificent set of results. But because they only issue conservative, mostly qualitative guidance for the current quarter, the stock hasn't gone up as much as I'd like. Today, though, Caterpillar held its first investor day that in three years, where, among other things, management announced a $15 billion buyback. No wonder the stock jumped nearly 3% today. Could have more room to run? Let's check in with Jim Uppleby. He's the chairman and CEO of Caterpillar. You get a better sense of where his company's at. Mr. Uppleby, welcome back to Mad Money. Hello, Jim. It's great to be back. Good to see you. Jim, I've got to tell you, this is one of the most impressive analyst days I have ever had the ability to watch. And I'm going to go right to the pages that I think are amazing. There were so many good ones. This one, the energy transition is a significant opportunity for profitable growth. What I think people don't realize is that all these electric vehicles, all the uh, anything that's renewable energy, all starts with Caterpillar. Well, thank you, Jim. We are very excited about it. And we do think that the energy transition expands our total addressable market. Just thinking about EVs, as you mentioned, and all the minerals that need to get mined to produce that, it's a very exciting opportunity for our mining products. If you add up all of the projections by all the the automakers, but how many EVs they will build, it has to be a good thing for CAT. So we're very excited. I mean, to me, when I looked at it, uh, if I were a major auto company and I wanted to avoid what happened to semiconductors, I would call you and I'd say, look, I can't be in the queue. I need hundreds of these things. Are they calling you and saying, look, it can't be business as usual. We need machines. Well, of course, Jim, we deal with our mining customers and they produce the products that are eventually used by the auto manufacturers. But certainly, you know, we, we have seen capital discipline from mining companies over the last few years. But certainly interest is increasing Our sales of them is increasing, and we're also very focused on helping them achieve their climate-related objectives as well. So again, a lot of good conversations with those customers, and we believe that uh, the demand will be increasing as it already is. Another thing that people may not understand is that when you have a cat, it lasts pretty much longer than you ever can. And your services grow through machine life cycle. Explain to me how you could have a $15 billion buyback, no sweat. This is a rather remarkable relationship that people have with their machines. Well, it really is. And we established a target uh, to double our services revenue between 2016 and 2026. And we told our investors today that we're increasingly confident about our ability to meet that target. As you said, customers own our equipment for a long time, and it depends on the product. We have some products like our gas turbines that literally run, run for 60 years. 
and, and we help our customers. We overhaul the gas turbines. We help them in production. And then we have mining trucks that are rebuilt many, many times as well. So again, that's a great opportunity for us. And one of the things that we've done is invest in technology to help our customers lower their life cycle costs and extend the life of their products. We now have over 1.2 million connected assets, machines and engines, so we can help them monitor what's going on, prevent failures, maximize uptime, minimize downtime, again, all with a view of making our customers more successful. At the same time, I want people to understand, particularly younger people, you heard about uh, gasoline, but the electrification of the entire product portfolio, I find one of the most amazing things that you're doing. Well, you know, and we believe that the adoption of alternative drivetrains will, it'll, it'll vary by geography and by application, but certainly we are investing in a variety of alternative technologies to help our customers, again, achieve their carbon reduction targets. There are many people who say, without China, Caterpillar has nothing. What I thought was most interesting is I went through everything. It doesn't even mention China, because China's not as big a market as people think, is it? Well, China's about 5 to 10% of our total sales, depending on the year. Um, you know, th- that market will be, uh, for us, that market is mostly hydraulic excavators, 10, 10 and above. And what we've told our investors is that we expect that market to be slightly below 2019 levels. But demand is very strong around the world. We, we mentioned in our last earnings call that our sales would have been even higher if not for supply chain constraints. But still, very proud of our team. They were able to increase sales by more than 20% last year in 2021, despite the supply chain challenges. And in the first quarter of this year, we're able to turn in double-digit sales growth, again, despite those ongoing challenges. So for us, demand is strong. And we continue to work our way through those supply chain constraints. On Mad Money, we have been emphasizing companies that make things, do stuff, sell properly, reasonable stock price, and give it back in dividends and in buyback. You are giving about 101% of your free cash flow to shareholders through dividends and share repurchases. This is precisely what I'm telling people they should be in. How are you capable of doing that? Well, thank you, Jim. You know, we've worked very hard on capital discipline within our company. We've uh, really tightened up our operational execution over the last five years. And during the last three years, we did produce $14 billion of free cash flow for machinery, energy, and transportation. And as you mentioned, we we returned 101% of that to our shareholders through dividends and share repurchases. So it really comes down to very focused efforts. Uh, We allocate resources to those areas that represent the best opportunities for future profitable growth, we're growing our business and returning cash to shareholders. Now, I've been, always been a huge fan of Caterpillar, but I always wanted this level of discipline. Uh, how did you get the buy-in of people to be able to make it so that you just didn't go flat out every single minute, whether we needed your machines or not? Well, I'm very proud of the team. We, our, our, our team has done a great job. As part of that strategy we introduced uh, five years ago, we have one element of it's called operational excellence. That safety, quality, lean, and a competitive and flexible cost structure. And we understand that we need to perform at all points up when the market's strong and then when the market's weaker. In 2020, we really demonstrated that. Uh, Because of COVID, our sales dropped more than 20%, but we still met our adjusted operating uh, profit targets regardless of COVID. So again, that really demonstrated, I believe, to our investors that we can meet our commitments for margin targets when the market is strong, and even during a COVID-induced downturn, we still pulled it off. Very Sir, proud of our team. If we're going to have carbon capture, we're going to need caterpillars. Carbon capture for real, or is it always going to be uneconomic? 
No, I think I think it's real. You know, it, 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 we'll, we'll see how long it takes to play out, but we made an acquisition relatively recently, uh, Carbon Point, to help our customers with, with that issue. So again, I think that's something that will occur. Uh, again, it'll occur at different rates with different products at different times around the world. But I, I really do believe that that is real in the future. Uh, the last question I have to ask is that I know when I, I hear Elon Musk speak, he's obviously brilliant. He's saying, listen, we need all the lithium there is in the world. Do we get lithium out of the ground with Caterpillar? Of course. That's one of the things that we talked about with our investors today. All the things that need to go into EVs. Uh, we produce the products that allow our mining customers to produce those minerals. So, again, I'm also a big fan of Elon Musk, a great entrepreneur. But we, we are very focused on helping mining companies, our customers, satisfy the demand that's required. Well, look, you've, you've changed this company. It's always been a great company. I never, no dispersions. But now you've made it into a great company and a great stock. Jim Uppleby, Chairman and CEO of Caterpillar. What a great show today, sir. Fabulous. Great to see you, Jim. Thank you. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.